Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Transitioning from single family to apartment building investing is a goal of many investors. And on today's episode with Anna Myers, we jump into how to navigate this transition. Anna currently serves as vice president of GrowCaptus, a commercial real estate company that has close to 800 units under management. On today's episode, we discuss so much with Anna from how to successfully analyze a market for apartment building investing to how to assess if a neighborhood is ideal to actually invest a bunch of tips on how to really build your underwriting skills, and how self-awareness is the key to balance. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her show. We like to just kind of slowly say her, right? (laughs) Um, So welcome back to the show. What we're up to is supporting women in this business of investing, not so you you know, just so you can, you know, delve into the realms of investing, but also take care of yourself, right? All the different areas of our life. So that's what we're up to. We're excited that you ladies are back on with us for another week where we interview some amazing, amazing women. So Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, so happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to jump into Anna's story. She's got a fascinating and uh, story on, on so many levels. So we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but as we'd like to connect with all of you, and again, thank you for, for listening to our show and getting the nuggets and you know, taking on your investing business. So Andressa, what is up with you? What is coming up for you this week? You know, I'm, I'm all about like self-development, right? You know that, Liz. Oh my gosh. Every time <laughs> you text me or email me over the weekend, did you read this book? Did you watch this documentary? I'm like, doesn't this girl I ever share. just relax? <laughs> I share. I tell to everybody, hey, watching this on Netflix, check it out. I can't keep it with me when I feel that it's so good. And so I, uh, but this one I didn't watch on Netflix was on YouTube, I guess, mm. or Instagram, one of the channels. Uh, so G- Gabrielle Bernstein, the, the lady who wrote uh, The Universe Has a- Your Back, mm. she was talking about ve- something very, very interesting. She said, it doesn't matter if you have your goals, your vision board, your gratitude journal, if you meditate and you still anxious. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, some people do all of that and they come to me and say, why am I not getting it? Why is it taking so long? I am doing everything. I have the pictures of the things that I want to have. Why am I not attracting it? And then she said, you got to pay attention to your energy and your frequency that even though you have all those things out there, your frequency is the, the, the attraction itself. Mm. So yeah. if you are anxious and um, in, in a, like demanding mode or, or you, you know, just not like really, truly grateful and just like surrender mm. mode, uh, that will, would affect it. And I thought that was very, very cool to put it out there because we all talk about strategies to, to execute things. But sometimes we don't pay attention to the feelings that we got to feel. So I thought it was was very cool. And that's why I want to share with all of you. 
I love that because that makes me think of like the whole gratitude list when people say, you know, make a gratitude list and I've done that. And then at the end of it, I'm like, I don't feel any more grateful. I don't feel any better, but it's really about putting the feeling in. Yeah. Like really feeling. What am I grateful for? Not you know, what so, I should be grateful yeah. for. Yeah. But you, what you're saying, I love because it's about the feeling. It's about feeling like, you know, I want more abundance, but do I feel you know, deserving of that, right? I mean, <laughs> that's a feeling. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great yeah. point. We need to be mindful yeah, I, of that. I think also being open to it. So, yeah. so um, one of the things I've, I've practiced is martial arts in my life, and it's mm -hmm. always having the mindset of, of the white belt, you know, no matter how far you've come. So having the mindset that wow. you're open to all learning and that, you're, that you don't feel like you know everything. So um, oh, a mindset that is very open as well as grateful, I think can be very powerful. Mm. Oh, I'm going to be using this forever. The, have the <laughs> mindset of a white belt. Yes. Forever. Yes. Yeah, I awesome. like that. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Anjessa. And, and thank you, Anna, for being on our show. And as we like to ask our guests and the, the wonderful women that join us, uh, you know, on this show is, you know, what propelled you? What really got you into this, this game of real estate investing. I know you've had a really neat path and, 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 you know, all different types of things you've been involved in, but what propelled you initially to get involved in real estate investing? Uh, well, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. Um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, my grandfather was a commercial real estate maverick in Southern uh, California. He started out flipping houses in the forties mm. and um, wow. was basically wow. a self-made millionaire and went into commercial real estate. He had a commercial real estate office. He started building um, shopping malls. He was buying, you know, orange groves, walnut groves, building shopping malls. And um, he was a pretty big thing in the Bay area. It had big, I'm oh, sorry, the, the Southern California had a big billboard, you know, ask Bob Simons, like everybody oh, wow. knew his name, you know? So he was a quite a self-made man, um, mm. a very uh, strong entrepreneur. And so that was kind of the fabric of my upbringing. My father's an architect. Um, so I was surrounded by commercial real estate. Um, however, uh, I'm the youngest grandchild and all my other cousins, a lot of them were already in the business with him. And um, I actually have a very strong art side. So my passion growing up was acting. Um, so I started as a, a you know, it's in LA and I, I did a lot of work on the stage. I thought acting was, it was wonderful and I wanted the pureness of being on stage. So that was my passion. And I just... Everything I did was about acting. Uh, and then, I, you know, long story short, I um, went to college. I was at Berkeley at a very young age at 17. Mm -hmm. And I got pregnant at 18. And um, I decided to, to have that child. And what that meant is I had to get serious pretty darn quick. And I realized that um, being a stage actress was not going to be a uh, sufficient way to care for my child. So I had to dig into the science side of me. And at the time, uh, computer science was really strong. And that was a career that I could make good money at. I, I didn't have any help from, I had help from my family, but I had no help from the child's father. So um, I was really on my own in terms of figuring out how to support my child. Um, so I went, I became a programmer because I could work two days a week um, while my daughter was in childcare and I could make $45 an hour, which was, you know, that's pretty good mm -hmm. for, you know, for a very young adult at that time. And then the other three days a week, go to school. Um, so that was kind of the path that I chose. I gave up the art to go towards the science to be res a responsible parent. Um, and then I, I kind of took up, you know, some art stuff on the side. I was always doing photography and stuff like that. So I, I developed into a, a, an entre strong entrepreneur in the IT space. So I started out as a programmer, then became a systems architect, put myself through a master's degree because as a woman, 
I needed a master's degree in that space. I was not going to be taken seriously as a programmer at that time without having a master's degree. So, um, so went through all of that. And then um, the IT industry crashed in, in 2000. When it crashed, now by this time I was married and, and had a second child. And but my, my kids are 12 years apart. So I was single parent for a very long time. Um, and then uh, the IT industry crashed. My husband was also in IT and it hit our household very hard. So what I did is I decided I was going to follow my art side again. And I started a photography studio in the Bay Area, um, a digital photography studio, because at that time, digital had become viable um, for photography. And because of my strong background in computers, I went all in. And um, I had a photography studio then for 18 years in the Bay Area. Now, one thing I've learned since then, a couple things about business um, that I've really learned is that um, one thing, if you work really hard, you're going to do a great job at it. So I was uh, very successful, but I also ended up paying so much in taxes mm. that it, I just felt like I was working for the government. I was just mm -hmm. like, this is ridiculous. I am making so much money. I'm doing so well. And everything I do goes to pay taxes. Mm. So I had to refigure out how do I get, how do I, do I just not work as much? And that's when I realized I had to go back to my, my real estate roots and invest in real estate as a way to um, hand manage my taxes. So given that I had a family background in that, I didn't feel as intimidated by it. Sure. Um, so, um, and I had such strong entrepreneurial examples. So that's what I started doing is investing in, um, you know, single family condos, um, that type of thing. And it, and it did take care of my taxes. Um, at the same time, I also realized that um, photography is a terrible business model even though I was very successful at it. And there's many business models like this where there is no out. Uh, it, it is, you are the person, um, there's no scalability to it. The only way to scale is to, um, you know, hire other people to be the photographer. And then basically I'm managing photographers. I'm no longer the artist. That doesn't work in photography very well. And if you can imagine, there's many other careers that, that people can choose that have that same trap. Yep. And so yeah. as a person looking for an out, I realized I needed something that was going to scale. And so I set, so I, I said, okay, commercial real estate is my next thing. That is what I'm going to head into. So I set a plan to, um, to finish out my studio in five years and educate myself at, at a really high level and transition into becoming a full-time real estate investor. And that's what I did. Awesome. So those single families and condos, uh, what did you do with them? Was it a flip? You rehabbed them and sold, or you kept them as rentals? Um, well, two of them, I still have their condos and I'm actually selling them now. I'm doing 1031 now um, okay. out of both of them. Um, they're in Portland, Oregon. Um, I also was investing in um, the 2000, right? 2007 timeframe is when I ended up buying. Um, I ended up having to buy at that time because of a it was actually a 1033 um, for my grandfather's estate, not a 1031. So that uh, there was a timeline on that. December 31st, 2007 is when I had to complete the transactions. Mm -hmm. And that meant I was buying top of market. Yeah. If you remember what was going on at that time and what happened in 2008. Yeah. So, um, so one of those single families that I bought did very well for a couple of years. And then the, mar the market uh, for that just fell apart the, the, and the, the metro that it was in just got hit so hard for multiple reasons. And that ended up being a short sale. And then there was also land van deals that I was dealing with in um, Reno, Nevada. 
that also just time of market, it all fell apart and I lost money on that. So I've definitely gone through some, you know, negative sides. Um, then I started buying, um, I bought a duplex. Um, again, I'm, I'm like the 1031 queen. Um, uh, <laughs> I did a 1031 into a duplex in Charleston, South Carolina, and that has been very successful. I realizing that I needed to scale and things weren't going as fast, partly because of that short sale, which slowed me down. Um, I said, well, let me look at apartment buildings. And I took a class on, on multifamily and that's where everything just totally fell into place for me. And uh, now I'm completely uh, committed to multifamily since uh, taking this multifamily class in, let's see, I think it was the beginning of 2018. So January of 2018, I took the class. I um, found a mentor through that process, uh, unwittingly, not, not intentionally, but found an amazing mentor who became my business partner. And um, I have since uh, closed, I'm, I'm a partner on 793 units um, mm -hmm. since that time. So five apartment buildings in five different metros and working on lots of exciting stuff. There's a lot that you've transitioned into. So you were doing single families, you're doing condos, mm -hmm. and then you made the switch into multifamily. And I think that's a very common interest, especially for women, men, really everybody. They, they have investing experience. They've done, they have some rentals and they're like, hold on, this seems like I want to scale this a little more. I want to get into something larger. Right. And, 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 you know, and that's, that's a desire that a lot of people have. It's a, it's a path that we took as well. We started with singles, we started with duplexes, and then we kind of slowly grew. Um, so I'm curious, you took some courses. What for you, with what you knew, right? Because you know things, you're investing in property already. So you know yeah. stuff, right? There's like the no column. Then there's the column of the unknowns, right? Getting into right. larger, larger buildings. And, and you're an underwriter by nature. Yes. So I'm, I'm, we're going to dive into that too, because that's a whole other really important skill that women have, how to analyze deals properly. But we'll get into that. So the question I have right now is the, the transition you made, what do you think, what qualities did you take from I'm investing in smaller stuff and now I'm going to apply that knowledge to this larger kind of larger portfolio? And the, the second question, if you want to answer both of them, is what knowledge did you have to learn, right? Uh -huh. what, were the, what were the gaps? Because yeah. What did gaps. I have to overcome, I think? Yeah, is, what did you have to overcome? Knowledge and then sure. the personal things I needed to overcome. Yeah, so talk about that journey for you because I think it's a common journey okay. a lot of women are listening to mm -hmm. have. Um, so what I, I, I think that what I brought to it was, um, you know, my, my financial programming background. Um, I, I am, because of my, my almost 20 years in, in IT, I, I am a, te a technologist at, to the core. And so I'm always trying to be very efficient and I'm always trying to look at the numbers. So that I think um, I, I was the, always the one with the most amazing spreadsheets about any you know, real estate thing. I was looking at markets and trying to figure everything out. So um, I think the data science of the numbers make so much more sense in multifamily. When you are investing in single family or you know, single when condos in, in less than five units, residential um, values are based on comps mostly. Mm -hmm. So it's the value of, you know, your single family is based on the single family next to you or the single family down the street. Um, once I realized in commercial real estate that the value of my property was told was pretty much in my hands because it's based on net operating income um, divided by the, the market cap rate. Now I don't control the market cap rate, but I do control where I invest and the ability to control the net operating income 
to be able to push the income on the property by raising rents or adding other income mm -hmm. and to reduce expenses, which is how you're going to finagle your net operating income is so powerful that that was just, that once I got that, there was no looking back. I'm like, why would I invest in, in anything less than a property that is evaluated based on numbers? Because that I can control. I can't control my neighbor's house down the street and what it sold for, but I can control my net operating income in a commercial building. So um, that was a, a big game changer and for me in my mindset. Now, one of the things I needed to overcome was um, I've always been a very, uh, a person who's very self-reliant. Uh, and maybe that's just because I was a single parent and I had to just dig in and, you know, I was very young and I had to dig in and do things and I got it done. So I think um, I, I uh, always look to myself to do it, but when you're in multifamily, you need to get used to the idea of partnering because mm -hmm. it happens much better as a team. And there's so much power to partnering. And that's what I had, one of the big things I had to overcome. The second thing I had to overcome is the concept of using other people's money. I was caught up on trying to make, use my own money, use my own credit or score, which again, held me back because I had a, a short sale. Now I've overcome that now, but I could have been investing all along. I, who knew that you don't, your credit score doesn't really matter when you're part of a team and you're investing in commercial real estate. So, uh, when, and when you're using other people's money, of course, you need to have a lot of knowledge. You have to take it to a whole nother level of, of credibility and due diligence and responsibility to, um, to be, you know, a shepherd of their, 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 uh, at their money. Mm -hmm. um, but I already have that mindset. So now that I'm, you know, partnering with the right people so that I can gain more knowledge it was a good fit. But those were the two things about multifamily that seemed insurmountable to me at first, even though the, the numbers I, I could figure out. I, I think that's, that's so great. And I want to dig even more about partnerships. We all know that if you want to, to get somewhere and scale, you got to leverage. So for the partnerships that you made, I want to that's one of the biggest questions that we get all the time. How do I know he or she is the right partner for me? What are the red flags and what should I be looking for? What are the, you know, non-negotiables? Is this a good partner or not for you? What are your criteria when you are looking for partners uh, that you, there are no negotiables or what exactly you look to find it, um, on those people that, on those partners that will fit your needs? Uh, I think the number one thing for me is uh, that the person is very ethical. It's, it's really critical to me that, that the person is, is just going to be truthful and honest and transparent and always try their best. And, and it's just very critical to have an ethical uh, person that you're partnered with. And uh, that takes time. To, right. to determine. You can't determine that in, in one conversation. Um, so there's certainly some vetting that needs to happen on that. And, and uh, I think a relationship with a partner is, is like a relationship with an investor. It's something that happens over time. You don't just meet an investor and the first, on the first time you're like, oh, give me $100,000. It's a, it's a relationship that needs to occur in, a, in an organic fashion so that there's a trust that develops over time. Um, and uh, an understanding of what the person needs. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, looking at, back again at the partner, so the partner, you need to understand what that person can bring and what you can bring to them. 
the ideal partner is, is somebody that doesn't, for, for me at least, and I think for many people, is somebody that doesn't have my exact same um, skill set. It should be somebody that has a complementary skill set. That way we can go much further. So that is something I'm looking for, is someone that, that's not just like me, somebody that's ethical like me, and ethical, of course, in their own ways as, as well, but somebody that has lots of skills that may not be my favorite things to do or may not be things I'm very good at. Yeah, no, that's, that's an awesome idea. And that's a great point. The, the other thing that I, I don't know if you've seen this, Anna, but with partnerships, just to go off on the partnership part, people will bring deals to you, right? So yes. there's a deal on the, there's a deal on the table and especially in this market, right? Things are moving quickly. You know, people are like, well, good deals aren't going to stay around, you know, or what have you. And it depends on what the deal is. If it's a flip project or a new construction project or in a multifamily project, right? All, all various types of asset classes and, you know, ways you can get involved in this business. So someone brings a deal to the table and you're vetting them, but in some ways it's, you don't have, you don't have the luxury of time because there's a expiration date on that deal. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's an, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting situation. And, you know, the opportunist side of me looks at it and says, okay, this is a great opportunity, but we really need to, I think above all else, I think you get to a point in this business that the partners actually become more important than the deal. In my opinion. Absolutely agree. Because I've, we've been burned. We've, we have been burned a lot and I am so careful because we're so quick to partner. We're quick to like, Hey, you know, we trust people really quickly. That's a, not a fault, but a, you know, something we got to keep an eye on in, in my own personality, same with my husband. I'm just as tougher. So she, <laughs> we keep her around for that. No, but, um, <laughs> but it is. I was so, like, no, hell no, we're not doing that. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Cause I think you're going to have a different perspective than even me on this. The deal comes to the table. It looks like a great deal. The deal even looks better than any, anything else in the, the sphere. However, you just don't have that time, that true, how do I vet the partner time? How do you quickly do that? How do you guys do that? Because I'm sure people bring stuff to you guys all the time. They, they do. People do bring us deals all the time. Um, and I think in that case, if we had a very, we, we would, if we knew nothing about this person and they bring us a deal, of course, we're going to vet the deal. Uh, sure first, but let's assume, like you say, it's an amazing deal. Um, we would reach out to our network to find out more about this person. Um, we have a pretty broad network at this point, and we would, you know, look for this person speaking and other people to, you know, th that know that person to refer right. to them. At the same time, we, um, we do see a lot of deals and we're proud that we say no more than we say yes. Um, for us, with a multifamily deal, we're not doing flips. Uh, we are stabilizing and, and, you know, in the shortest projects, maybe getting out in three years. But more of our projects are five to seven years. That's a long partnership. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like, like we're going to be stuck with this person for a year. And if it's not a great thing, we're not going to do it. So we're, we, in a case where the timeline was very short and we could not get enough information about this partner, knowing my business partner and I the way I know us, we would say no to the deal and say, we'd like to get to know you more over time. Um, but you know, there's always more deals coming. We're, we're in a fortunate situation that we, we get amazing deals brought to us on a sure. regular basis. But I always have to think about my investors. Yeah. You know, and, and it is not a good situation for my investors if I'm too quick to partner with somebody who's not a good partner. Sure. That's a problem for a very long time. There's gonna be more deals that will come along, but I need to be very uh, careful about yeah. our partnerships.
Yeah. Good, good point. Good insight. Um, because yeah, it is something that comes up a lot, you know, and it might I think- be easier if it's a three month flip for somebody to take right. that on. And if they're using their own money, those are two very different, different situations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. We were, we were Great talking insight. about exactly what you were saying yesterday. And we were like, we're in a position that it's kind of like a fiduciary to, yes. to, to the investors. And, and that's, that's the me make them whole and, and, and create that relationship. And you can put at risk that part. Uh, one thing that I want to, since you have this scientific background, I data scientist. I love right? that. data scientist. <laughs> love we, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen to the real estate market. However, we cannot, let me rephrase that. We cannot predict for sure <laughs> what's going to happen. However, how can we get prepared for it? Does, can we look at the past data? We all know that there are different cycles, uh, but mm-hmm. what, what exactly and where can we get that data that does not have emotion attached to it so we can make uh, the right decisions right now that will affect our uh, growth in the next one to two years, let's say. Sure. So, so I always, I'm always looking at the market. I mean, you could be talking about from an economics, like, but that's going to be hard to track. Sure. What I'm looking at is the actual data of markets. And um, so there's market fundamentals. Markets are going to be at different phases of their development. Some, some markets yeah. are already 10 years into recovery. Other markets are, are only midway into the recovery. So finding the, the right market and, and things that we look at, at a, in a very specific and tangible way have to do uh, with, with very common concepts of jobs, uh, population, but we have actual numbers that we put behind them. So we say, we want to see this much job growth over the national average. We want to see this much population growth between the years of 2000 and 2017. We look at home price increases. We look at median household. We look at unemployment. We look at poverty level. So there's, way, so there's, there's the market level. And then once we've identified a market that we're, that we're interested in, we look at the neighborhood level for the asset. So, so uh, and, or, or if you don't have an asset yet, there's ways that you can evaluate a market and find the best neighborhoods to invest in in that market where there is still, they're just about to pop. And you can tell that, um, and, and we actually have a, a great course on it and a whole bunch of information I can, I can refer people to on exactly how to find the best neighborhood within a city where you can see the path of progress actually going through it using citydata.com and a very specific map that's on citydata.com in a very specific way that only Neil Bawa would come up with. So um, it's, it's, a very, it's a very unique strategy that's completely free to anyone using it because it's using free tools. And then you can go to the broker and say, this is the exact, these blocks, this is what I'm interested in. And you're interested in it because of very specific reasons, because you've evaluated that the job income has increased in the past few years. However, the housing has not increased yet. So that's mm. it. There's very specific things that you're looking for. And then you're looking for, of course, you're also doubling up on that and saying the poverty level is not above this. The unemployment level is not above that. So there's all these very specific keys that you're looking for and you mm. find those pockets and that's where you're, what you're looking for. I've never heard it uh, phrased that way. I think that's great insight, Anna, around, you know, that's a really good point. I've always, I've always said it like it's almost like those, those areas that 
are on the cusp, right? They're not in the A class. They're on the cusp. But to actually identify those neighborhoods on the cusp, I love what you're saying. That's like a great little tool around the job income has already gone there. The housing has not. I I, I just, that's a great, Yeah, and you can actually see it in the data. And and you can, like, it's, you can, it looks like a river flowing through. The Mm. the path of progress literally looks Mm. like a river flowing through the city. It's just, it's eye-opening. It really mm-hmm. is. Uh, and these are the types of things we're always coming up with innovative ways to use data. And we teach this stuff in our multifamily university. Um, I teach the underwriting. Neil teaches. It's, it's all about you know buying apartment buildings and we're yeah. expanding in, into other commercial classes as well. But it's very innovative way, uh, ways that we use tools and come up with you know just, just out-of-the-box thinking. When it comes to underwriting, you know, I th- we probably could have like a two-hour session on that, yes. I'm sure, you know. Can Matt join us, please? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I love talking to Matt about underwriting. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's such an important skill. It, it's a critical skill, let's, let's be honest. E- either you or someone on your team is really masterful at it. And as you grow in your experience, you go from the small multis to the larger multis, that's a, it's a whole different ball game. Right. And, and that becomes very evident in that, you know, being able to be effective as an underwriter. So ladies listening to this and they want to get better. It's like a muscle, right? It's like going to the gym. It's everything in our life. It's about developing muscles. If they want to become better at underwriting in general, uh, especially multifamily, small or large, what would you tell them do these things? Like, what would those things be? Like, if they want to get better, they want to, they want to get that muscle stronger. Well, clearly they need to practice, right? Because if you want to get your muscle stronger, you have to go out there and do it. Um, so the, the thing that's the, that can be the stopping point for someone is like, but I don't know how, right. how do I do this? And how do I do it for free? I don't have a bunch of money to spend on this. So uh, what I would recommend is I, I actually teach a free webinar um, on multifamilyuniversity.com. I teach it monthly. Um, as well, it'll, it's going to be available much more often soon. And that it will, can get you going, or you can find other free resources where you can learn about what is a T12, what's a trailing 12 month, what's a rent roll, um, what's a deal analyzer, um, how do I do rent comps, how do I figure out renovation. So, so there's key things you need to figure out, um, and you have to have those basics. And then you, once you've got those basics and, you, and then you start practicing, you can go to LoopNet and get these, you know, the trail, the T12, the, basically the financial package on some sample properties and start underwriting and maybe form a group, you know, to say of some other people that want to practice underwriting as well um, and say, hey, let's, uh, here's a property, let's all underwrite it together and see what we come up with. Let's see what our results are. Um, we have groups being formed like that all the time in our multifamily university. Great suggestion. Yeah. yeah they, they, co, of- they, they co-write, uh, co-underwrite properties together. And then, you know, just organically, they, they just get together and say, hey, let's, let's figure out what we all got, you know. That's great. And for, for the ladies that are listening to us, we have, um, we have 137 last time that I checked countries. So there are people... Yeah from all over and not necessarily got to invest on your own backyard. So uh, for, no, I, I, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening. Uh, I don't know which, which podcast. And they were like, if your backyard does not make sense, don't invest it just because it's your backyard. Just, you know, expand, go to the opposite, expand your mindset and get the tools that you need so you can invest uh, on out of state. So for the ladies that are looking to invest in out of state, mm-hmm. what, what are their like 
top three or top five items that they should be looking at besides the market analysis that you just mentioned to, before? Um, well, you you can't ignore population and 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 um, you know population and jobs. That that's always got to be your number one. Um, so even though I mentioned it before, it's worth mentioning again. You sure. say the top five, you cannot keep those out of the top five. Okay. Um, and then you want to look at rent growth um, in the area. So rent growth is, is really critical. What's been the historic rent growth? What is the forecasted rent growth? And that has a lot to do with the, the forecast of real estate in the area. And again, the migration trends, you know, who's coming in and that type of stuff. Um, we do look at the types of jobs in the area. So we want an area that has more than one specific um, industry. We don't okay. want to be too heavy on one thing. So if, if you're looking at a, a a pie of the different um, types of jobs or industries that are in that market, you want to see a lot of different slices. Um, because as we go into, as the market changes, which it always does, it will change. You want to have a lot of diverse diversification of types of jobs so that, that people can move into different industries or you don't just lose all your tenants because right. that, that particular company shut down or is not doing well. Um, so let's see, yeah, that, that is extremely important. Um, we also like to look at the diversity or the ethnicity, um, to make sure that there's a large diversity within the ethnic groups okay. that are represented. We're, we're filling apartment buildings, not just a single family house. Okay. So when you have an apartment building, you want all kinds of people to feel like they could live there. Yeah. If you only, if you have an area that is primarily one thing or primarily the other, whatever that thing is, you have limited your, your, your tenant base. So we like to see uh, a lot of diversity. Again, if you think of that pie, you want to see a lot of different slices in that pie of different things. Yeah, great suggestion. The, um, you know, the other thing we wanted to explore with you that we always like to chat with the ladies. I feel like I could, I could have asked you like 17 other questions around <laughs> what you're saying, but I'm like, you know, try to, try to you know, be mindful of, of uh, your time, the ladies' time, but I, you know, we'll have to have part two. But before we go there, before you share where ladies can learn more about you, um, you know, I know in chatting with you prior, we talked a lot about, you know, balance and, mm -hmm. you know, family and, you know, you have, um, you have six kids, 10 grandkids, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I think there's something to be said about us women, right? Cause that's what we're all about is supporting women in this business. And, um, men want balance, but women want it in a different way, you know, and yeah. so I'm curious to hear from you. You've been through so many careers, you've started so many businesses, yeah and you have thriving businesses and you're doing it right. How have you been able to, you know, just, just balance it all. I don't want to say do it all. Cause you know, I don't know, that might be overwhelming to some, yes. but really balancing it all, whatever those, those things are. So, you know, you're in your teaching courses and building the syndication business, which sounds like, you know, super amazing. So for you, how have you been able to, to kind of balance it all? Um, well, I've always been a big proponent of exercise. Um, I think it's a great stress reliever. I've, I've been a runner for, for many, many years of my life. Um, I'm actually switching now to spin because mm. my dog can't run anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> big issues in my life. <laughs> That's a big, huge transition for me. Um, so I, I find exercise is one of the main ways that I can, it's also a time that I use. It's kind of like my church. Um, so that I have time, you know, I, sometimes I don't have time to meditate, even though it can only be a few minutes. It just seems like, ah, I don't have time. But if I can get in, I get into a meditative state when I'm running mm. or, um, now I'm integrating more yoga. Obviously there's, there's a meditative state there. So 
exercise has just been always been very critical to me. And um, I think being a parent um, is part of balance um, because I always had to put my child first or my children first. And tr it was always my emphasis to be the best mother I could. And sometimes that meant that I had to stop. I had to put aside um, other things. I had to carve out different time frames to be dedicated to um, the work that I was doing that wouldn't uh, interfere with me giving my whole self to my children. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's, you know, allocating different times. Now at this point in my life, I feel like I don't have as much balance, but all of my kids are out of the house <laughs> and it's all about working as hard as I can um, uh, so that I can go visit my grandkids and my, my children. Um, so I don't feel as bad now about working like a, like a, you know, Tasmanian devil the way I do these days, because it's just me and my husband and, and he understands what we're doing together is producing a legacy for, for our children and our mm -hmm. grandchildren. Awesome. So there's less balance in my life now. <laughs> I'll admit that. Well, you're raising a really good point. You really getting me thinking. Um, I feel like all the ladies always get me thinking. You know, obviously, we want to impact all the women listening, but I, I, it always gets me thinking a lot about different things. And what you're saying is interesting in that sometimes we are going to be off balance, and that's uh -huh. okay. But it's that kind of awareness of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Is it meaningful to us? And kind of just knowing where you're at with it, whatever it is. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of value to that versus trying to get it perfect, right? 25% right. here, 25% here. Because that, that, the idea of balance can get very um, stressful, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're doing it just to do it or feel like you have to do it. Um, mm -hmm. If you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, I think that's uh, really important and really, really the key. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. But. Well, I think also if you don't feel good about the things that's, that are the most important in your life, which for most people is family and children, then you're not going to feel good about anything else. Anything else, yeah. So, so to me, that's always been my first barometer is like, how am I doing in my, you know, with my family and with my kids? And then and, I can take it from there. And the ladies listening, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. You know, look back at the last few months of the year and look how you're spending your time. That will tell yeah. you how you're prioritizing, right? Whatever you're spending your time doing, you will very clearly like, wow, I'm spending this much time watching TV yet I want this. Well, we got to look at that, right? How are we spending our time? Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, just do a little diary for a week. How are you spending your time? Mm -hmm. You know, instead of maybe playing with your kid, are you on your computer? Not a bad thing, but it's just to be mindful, right? Is it something you right. want to be conscious to, you know, it's all about, I feel like conscious, consciously living, right? Um, so that's awesome. I, I feel like we definitely could talk to you for like another few yeah, hours. And, and definitely combining activities. I know like when I was a single parent and I wanted to get exercise and spend time with my kid, we spent, a, 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 you know, trying to balance those two activities out. Um, I, she would ride her bike and I would run. And, yeah. you know, and so, so there's, there's ways that we can multitask um, and, and get the, be the best of both worlds and set good examples because that also is setting a good example for your child. So whatever the, the, you know, whatever that task is that you're able to multitasking and, and take two things off your list for the day and set good examples for your children in their life, that's an amazing win. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. So the ladies listening, uh, there's so much knowledge that you have and you're just up to so many wonderful things. How could the ladies learn more about you and all the neat things you're up to? Um, well, multifamilyu.com. So that's multifamily and then the letter u.com is where I... I teach regularly. I do, um, besides teaching underwriting on a regular basis, we, we do a boot camp quarterly where I teach the underwriting for several hours of that. 
And then I co-host lots of webinars um, on there. We have tons of content that comes up about, you know, lenders and CPAs and cost segregation and all kinds of stuff that I love about, um, about multifamily. We just had some people on there about how to use LinkedIn um, in your business. So lots of great content that we're always producing. The other thing we're all about is opportunity zones. So there's lots of information on that. Yeah. So multifamilyu.com and I'm a Anna, A-N-N-A at multifamilyu.com. That's awesome. So all this information you guys are going to find on our show notes. And now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. The first one, Anna, is what's the most transformational book you have ever read? That one is such a tough one for me um, <laughs> because I'm re I read all the time and um, I can, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go for th three that I've read recently. Okay, um, cool. So for, for what I do in my life, um, the best ever syndication book by Joe Fairless and Theo Joe. Hicks, an excellent book. If you're interested in multifamily, it's very, very well written. I live and breathe this trade and I can tell you it's an excellent book. I also am a big fan of Matt Faircloth's book on raising private capital. I think it's extremely um, well put together. And can, I, what I love about it is it can help people that are just starting out in raising private capital and gives them so it dedicates so much of, of it, the content to that and being creative uh, in lots of different situations. I, I think it was really, really helpful to me to get me thinking about uh, lots of things. I'll pay you um, later for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, it's, it's um, and then the last one I want to bring up, because I think it's a remarkable story about a woman and, and how she found balance and, and value in, in what she was doing in her life is Michelle Obama's book, um, Becoming, is that the name Becoming. of it? Becoming, yes. Becoming. Amazing story of a woman's life. Um, a very, very well told. And, uh, you know, how, how she balanced being a mother and, and really striving to find value in her own life. Right. She has such an interesting story. Um, way before she she became the first lady, so mm, she's just amazing. She's amazing. So I think that that also is a very transformative book and very helpful for women trying to find their footing and get and be as as much as they can be. She's a great example for us to look to. Absolutely. The second question is: What's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Um. So for my business, for my, for my personal life, it's, it's exercise and, um, geez, for my financial life, um, just dedicating myself. You, you threw me a ringer. You said it different than on the, <laughs> no, no, it's me to say, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever that is. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say, um, exercise, running yoga, you know, I think it's just critical. And for some people it might be meditation. So but I love what you said about getting the meditation vibe while running. Yeah. It's all it's about multitasking. Awesome. I'm an amazing multitasker. <laughs> <laughs> Great. The last one is which women famous or not has inspired you the most? Yeah, this was also it was a tough one for me. I guess I, I do need to go back to, to my family. Uh, my mom was, was a very, a strong person. She was a single parent of five children. Um, so, uh, and she um, always encouraged me. I feel, feel very fortunate to have been raised both by my mother and my father, even though they were divorced when I was very young, as somebody that, that could do anything I wanted to do and gave me the confidence to be an entrepreneur and, and not just go to a regular job and, and just really be you know, an artist if I wanted to be an artist or a scientist if I wanted to be a scientist. 
and just would be the most I could be. So I, I go back to my mother, but I'm blown away by all women that are just badass out there getting it done. I'm so impressed by, by how much we are able to do and to parent and be amazing, um, yeah. uh, you know, partners in, in our families. And, and uh, it just blows me away what women can do and so much more that we can do in the future. I, I, I really um, am grateful for the show that you, that you two have put together and the potential value that it's going to have on women's life and recognizing that they can do real estate and listening to each other and, and partnering with each other and helping each other. There needs to be more women, especially in commercial real estate. It's an amazing field. There's the scalability works tremendously for, for wealth building. And I want to see more women in the space and thank you both for helping women get there. Well, thank welcome. you. I appreciate that. You know, and that's what we're up to with this podcast and community and what we're kind of up to. So, you know, thank you for um, your support and saying that, but also thanks for being on our show. Uh, I love how badass you are with underwriting and data and just in a field that's so male dominated. So, so thank you for all that you're doing for, for um, you know, in, in your work. So we appreciate you being on and definitely have to, definitely have to have you back on very soon. Yeah, I'd love to come back and talk about Opportunity Zones, which yes. are amazing and a whole nother like world of amazingness. <laughs> Great. Thank, thank you, you so again. much, Adam. Okay, thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.